Welcome to the fourth episode of Starts at the Top, our brand new podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Zoe Ammer. And I'm Paul Thomas. This podcast aims to bring you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. A big thank you to everyone who listened to and shared last week's episode with Louise and Kirsten from Young Scott. We're having a lot of fun recording these interviews and as we round out our first season, we're keen to hear from you about the digital leaders in your life. Who do you want to hear from and who should we be speaking to in our next season? Do please let us know. We'll share our contact details at the end of the episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe and share on Twitter and LinkedIn. And we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and we'd love it if you could leave us a review. This week, we're going to take a slightly different approach and we'll be rounding up some of the ideas and challenges that we've been hearing about during the interviews that we've done so far and also tackling some of the questions that have been occupying us as well as our listeners. We'll also be sharing excerpts of interviews that we did earlier in lockdown with in particular Jane Lambert, who's CEO of Milton Keynes-based clinical training company ECG and Richard Brooks, who's CEO of K International, a translation and language service provider also based in Milton Keynes. So we wanted this episode to be a little bit different. So what we we thought we would talk about is some of the themes that have emerged, particularly over the past few months. And I think, Zoe, your your business is a bit more established than mine, but I set up a business at the sort of tail end, October of last year. Uh, and then obviously spent the next few months trying to build up a business, win clients and had lots of work lined up. And then suddenly COVID-19. Certainly I was reflecting uh, on on where we've got to with the podcast and the people that we've interviewed and some of the subjects that have come up. And I thought this would be a useful point in time to just go over some of that, discuss our thoughts and feelings on our own businesses and how this is, has been affecting us. Absolutely. And I think it's been a massive time of change for everyone, uh, whether you work in a, a sector where there's lots of demand or whether you're in a, a sector where you, you've had to put things on pause. Uh, things have, have really shifted and, and transformed for, for everyone. And of course, there's been a, a knock on effect on, on leadership and how leaders lead. And I guess looking at your sector, the third sector, one of the biggest uh, concerns, I, I guess, for leaders within that space has been funding. The slow reaction of the government to put its hand in its pocket for the charity world. In those terms, is that have you seen a, a sort of a shift away from uh, projects that a business like yours, a, a digital bit transformation business or a digital business, would normally work on? Yes and no, to be honest. I mean, I think that, that this year is is definitely going to look different to the the year before there was a, a huge amount of work coming through the door this year we're, we're all so busy and it is it's a not dissimilar mix of work to be honest and we we do have quite a we have a lot on at the moment certainly for um for the foreseeable uh i think though that the way in which charities are engaging with digital is changing and there's some real positives around that so there's there's less of the Ooh, is it a good thing to 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 do this or not? And uh, is what's the point of digital? So there's less of the, the kind of pre-contemplation stage, if you will. And the conversations that I'm having with charities now are more about, well, how do we do this effectively? And how do we know this is working? And how will we know when things aren't working as well? So they are absolutely the kind of, of conversations that I've wanted to to have with charities for. As, as long as I've worked in the sector, really. Um, but I, I think there's some 
tough times ahead for organisations and the sector, like I think every other sector is going to have to keep reinventing itself to come out the other side of this stronger and more versatile and able to meet the opportunities that there will still be for, for everyone, provided we can all make sure that we're, we're skilled up and we've made the, the right decisions about what to, to focus on digitally. I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago, and the the idea of the presentation was to tackle this question of has digital transformation happened overnight? There was a meme that did the rounds, which we've all seen, you know, who's in charge of your digital transformation? Is it A, your CEO, B, your CTO, or C, COVID-19? And literally within a week or two, everyone had shared it with me. And I think they either thought, well, you must be making hay whilst the sun shines with a business like yours, or they were saying, well, you've set up a digital transformation business and everyone's business just transformed overnight. Yes, we've got used to some of the technology. We've got used to the collaboration technology, perhaps the the meeting technology, the video conferencing. We've adopted that. But beyond that, there is a strategic need for digital, particularly leadership teams, to get to grips with, with what that means. Absolutely. I think everyone's having to um, embrace the world of Zoom and Teams. Certainly from the leaders that I'm talking to, a, a lot of them are really beginning to think about how they can really make a difference as leaders and, and, and what type of leader or, or what leadership skills they want to develop uh, to, to help their organisations get through to the other side of this. So I, I definitely think leadership is is changing and has already changed under covid-19 and 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 that came across as as part of the interviews that we did with richard and and jane this week if you don't change to address this, even if you're not directly helping. So, for example, we're lucky from the point of view that we're a healthcare training company. So we can directly help with the, the COVID crisis. But I think whatever business you're in, you've got to look at new ways of working because, I, you know, not many businesses will be able to hibernate for a year and then come back and survive, let alone come back and thrive. So I think, you know, it's about adapting your business to meet you know, the, the new way of living, because I think it's, it's going to be here for some time. Both of them seem to have been very hands-on from a business development point of view, uh, very visible, both enjoying the, the travel and going out and meeting people and all of that has come to a sort of a crashing stop, I guess. Both businesses set up um, reasonably well to, to be digitally enabled. Obviously, Richard's is a translation business. A lot of the translation that they do is digital, is file-related rather than pieces of paper related now. And Jane... Uh, certainly talked about the investment that they've made into technology and their business continuity plans. First of all, we are incredibly fortunate because it's all digital and it's all been digital for oh, 15 years, 20 years maybe, you know. The hardest thing, I guess, is for some somebody like me who's quite extroverted and likes being in the office and likes talking to people, that's that's been difficult to not have the office environment. Obviously, I'm stuck in I'm stuck in my garage now with my with my webcam. That's about it. Saying that the apps, the actual mechanics of the business is done by people on computers, which is now done in people's home. As a team, we initially felt quite panicked for what it meant for the business, without the obvious what it meant for everybody and their safety and their their well being. 
And I guess our initial response was looking at, you know, I guess the team, logistics, finance. Um, we were really lucky because we invested a lot um, over the last two years in our IT systems and our backup systems. And we have a really robust business continuity plan. And obviously for us as a company where we advertise our training courses and people book onto them or online through the web, our website is obviously a huge part of our business and really, really important to us. So um, we do test it quite regularly within our business continuity continuity plans. But I think with COVID, um, all of our individual potential scenarios in the business continuity plans, I think COVID's like everything all bundled into one plus some. So that's kind of quite high level. Um, so, but now we've responded really well. We were already doing quite a lot of work within our digital side of the business. Um, and everybody's working at home well. We've become used to Zoom, go to meetings, all of those. And I think in a way that is working for us well now as a team to improve communication. But also moving forward from that, actually, I can see um, our business changing very much with how people are getting used to working digitally. Probably not many business continuity plans six months ago, 12 months ago, included a global pandemic within the parameters of, of the policy. I'm pretty sure that they all will do now. They absolutely will do. And there was something really interesting in The Economist a couple of weeks ago about how the leaders who are thriving now have seen that that you have to plan for almost improbable events. Uh, so who would have thought even six months ago that all of our children would be off school and that we'd be working from home all the time and that none of us would have been on a, a train for months and months. I've spoken to, to some leaders who sensed that this was going to happen happen quite early on from, from February in, in, in fact and there was one I was talking to who really got quite worried about it uh, early doors and started planning for it. There's this really interesting, con not contradiction but maybe um, two sides of the same coin that are emerging for me in how traditional leadership skill set needs to evolve as it were. So uh, I think the successful leaders at the moment are simultaneously those who have a, a real nose for risk. So they they can spot a risk quite a long way off. They've got a, a good sense for it and, and they know how they need to start planning to, to manage and mitigate the risk but who also have an appetite for risk and they aren't afraid to innovate and they aren't afraid to encourage their teams to try new things as well. And that came across quite strongly in the uh, interview that we did with Louise and Kirsten last week. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting issue to me, which that attitude to risk and that appetite for risk, which really shows how the role of the modern leader and the qualities we seek in a modern leader are changing because of COVID-19. I think one thing chief execs or C-suite need to do is be able to create that environment where the senior managers can perform and deliver. Yeah, we can do that. We're really fortunate because it's a virtual digital business anyway. So you can sort of tick that box. There's a question there around leadership, which at the moment is a large dollop of just letting people get on with it. There was a nice indication of the way that Richard had traditionally run his business, K International. He talked about sitting in his uh, office and sort of uh, looking out at people doing their jobs, um, getting on with work and, and a sense of pride that the machine was working. Um, now the machine is working, but you can't see it. I think that is a big 
shift for CEOs who've been perhaps more used to work in the office and how actually not having that that status thing of of being in the office and having the corner office um which which may be important to to some CEOs maybe less to others uh, but but what that then means for how you approach leading your organization and i really like um Richard's point where he he very bravely admitted asking whether his business perhaps needs him in the same way as it it once did and what that then means for CEOs and their role and the value that they add to their organisations. And I wonder whether more CEOs are going to ask themselves that question. I think what I've learned is it can run without me, which which is quite a hard thing to admit. This is just between the three of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's, it won't go uh, any further. Yeah, we'll go, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, no, it can it can work without me, which is something I've been striving for all my life to actually develop a system or a business that runs without me. But when it when it actually happens, it makes you feel a bit small. I think this this COVID situation gives them a perfect excuse or a perfect reason to really turn away from some of the old ways of working and, and embrace new ways of working. So I think that a leader that recognises, I think, that this is an opportunity. I think it's a moment in time for leaders to to look at the situation with COVID-19 as, a, as an intervention that kind of proves change is possible. I think what we've seen with COVID-19, that change is possible. It might be messy and it might take a lot of working out and figuring out, but I think it's vital that organisations don't ignore what's happened and try to get back to the office or rush back to the office and sort of get on with the way that things were before so that they make this the time that they take two steps forward rather than just sort of gently sliding back into the groove that they were in before. Exactly. I think there's something really um, humbling for everyone about this this change, is, isn't there? Uh, which which means that you end up questioning what's happened before, um, and also where you can be most supportive and helpful to your team at this time. And and I thought Richard's point, and I think some of the points that, that Jane made as as well, where uh, in order to to motivate and uh, keep morale high during a period of really intense change and worries is partly about showing what you can offer people even if it's not pay rises and uh, office space at the moment it can be about skills and showing how as a leader you are continuously learning through that this time and you're going to keep sharing your your learnings and and your failings and your successes with with the team and you expect them to do the same Pre-COVID, would I have been looking for people who were digitally aware, I guess, um, and if they weren't going into that role? Absolutely not, probably. Um, I think post-COVID, I think the digital ability, um, I think, is going to come higher, certainly on my list for recruitment, and I'm sure other people as well, because I think, you know, when we do get through this, we we are never going to forget these times, and we're all going to be set up, I think, in a very different, robust way. We heard that from Simon in our very first episode, didn't we, about um, investment into the team and that the team were having to learn new skills on the fly in order to continue to deliver the services that they were delivering pre-COVID to the beneficiaries. I think also the the idea that what we're sort of rediscovering now is we work to live, we don't live to work. Even just introducing 
more flexibility to the to the work that we do. For instance, you shared so over the weekend or at the end of last week, we had another instance of um, child invasion on the uh, on, on the news. Was it Sky News or the BBC? Oh again? yes, um, yeah. A, a working mum who is expert in her field who also has a child at home, and the difference between uh, one organisation, one news organisation that sort of it seemed to embrace that. Um, intervention into the into the interview. This was so. This was when uh, her little girl um, came in and started trying to arrange a, a unicorn. I think it was on the shelves in the background. I think it was the BBC that sort of took it in its stride. And I think there was one other instance that I saw of, of the same or a similar thing happening on it was a Sky News broadcast. They cut the interview. I think it's it's about trying to recognise that this is a different situation, but not one that we should stop. Um, immediately when we get back to the office, I think it's one that we should recognise is 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 going to be par for the course for the for the foreseeable future. I think it was um, really interesting to see how those those two in- incidents were were handled as well. So as as you said, there so there was one on the, the BBC a few days afterwards, um, where I think it was Dr Claire Wenham, who I think is a, a health expert, was being asked about local lockdowns in England and then her daughter Scarlett appeared on the screen. And, and actually, I really like the way that the uh, journalist there, so it sort of brought her daughter into the interview and was saying, well, you know, what, what do you think, Scarlett? And and uh, f- for me, that interview was was just a brilliant liberating moment because it shows how the modern workplace has, has changed and how suddenly it's just normal it's a fact of life that people's kids and pets and random relatives and, and maybe even the gas man in a socially distanced way is is wandering past in in the background I mean your human life is here really isn't it when when you work from home and I, I think that the, the modern leaders really aware of that and works with it rather than against it yeah, and for instance, somebody sent me a background. I was doing a, a presentation and somebody sent me a background and said, can you put this up in your Zoom call? And I said, well, actually, no, my, my laptop, it doesn't work on my laptop, but kind of why should I? Because, yes, I am working in my son's bedroom. Yes, I do have funny wallpaper and the Death Star lamp hanging from the ceiling, but you know, surely that is a good thing. So I think this sort of newfound appreciation for rounded humans and seeing who our colleagues actually are has had a, a massively positive effect on team communication. And therefore, I think the leaders of those teams are starting to you know, test new ways of, of leading and test new ways of working within those teams and, and offering that, that flexibility and that, that new world of work. Exactly. I, I think that is what's been happening for, for a while, that, that trend. It's just that it's all become more visible uh, during during the pandemic, hasn't it? So I've just started a, a new role, a new contract with a really interesting organisation, but they are split between London and Edinburgh. One person said to me on LinkedIn, oh, welcome to the North. Uh, and actually, there hasn't been a single discussion about going to either one of those offices. Everything can work quite nicely with us all working from home. But I think there is a sense of things like social bonds between colleagues and actually being able to see people face to face is something that we're all missing, not just in the workplace, but in our in our day-to-day lives as well. The biggest hit that I think I've taken personally, and I think a lot of people are struggling with, is just this idea that creative thinking, long-term planning, deep work is 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 really, really suffering under under these conditions. 
on the one hand great it's it's much more flexible and I think it it can be a lot more in, inclusive and means we're no longer tied to the nine to five uh, on, on the other hand there's some slightly weird old-fashioned things about it as well so this new culture of presenteeism that is is springing up around people constantly being in in meetings albeit virtual ones and like we were saying last week that's not always great for productivity and means that um, a lot of people that that I know and I, I I work with are getting burnt out and quite stressed Simon in our first episode talked about that didn't he when he was talking about sort of recognizing that we all have a lot on our plates and that we we need to be kind to ourselves and and give ourselves that space and time cutting meeting times uh, just gives people that little space between meetings so that they can catch their breath um maybe make a cup of tea look after themselves a bit especially in a in an office environment it's a very unattractive feature of work sprinting out of one meeting room and straight into another i think people do probably miss their face-to-face meetings but i think that's probably going to be the the last thing on the timeline to to be clawed back more people making decisions to stay at home and and, and do meetings from from home the thought of sitting in in um, a room and talking to people face to face feels quite strange and quite alien now, doesn't it? Yeah, I had a conversation with a with a friend who said that they'd done a, a staff survey, but this was about how they wanted to work in the future, and it was there were two demographics that wanted to return to the workplace quite quickly, and that was the younger people within the business who associated being in the office with being in a you know maybe potentially a major city the social life that goes along with that and an older demographic that saw the same thing perhaps did work face to face did the dinners and the entertaining and business development but the majority of people that really did want to see this sort of idea of I want to choose uh, I want it to be roughly 50-50 but I want to be in the office less and at home more it's about offering employees choice isn't it and letting them feel like they're the the ones in in control rather than perhaps the employer historically always being the one who who felt like they had a bit more of 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 the balance of power perhaps as a business i think quite quickly what we decided to do that well our only option really was to either hibernate or to sort of head, you know face this head on and and react and change the way we work and change what what we deliver I guess to directly respond to the COVID crisis. So, kind of so I guess everything we're doing at the moment is one hundred percent COVID related. Replacing something that has always been delivered either face to face or in a an analog environment, and it's really really hard for people to imagine what the digital version of it might look like. But I've seen so many examples. So from the smallest business, my uh, my local Pilates teacher, for example, was one of the first as this broke to recognise that the church halls where she did her Pilates sessions were going to be shut down within weeks and that she was going to have to take her lessons online and she's completely shifted her business model i haven't spoken to her to see whether that's going to be a permanent change i think she's still looking to get back into the into the churchills and bring people together but by offering her lessons online had completely transformed 
her business in the same village, a cafe that that couldn't open its doors to paying customers, shifted to offering local veg boxes. Um, so working with local farmers and local suppliers to uh, put together a sort of a, a, a sort of more localized competitor to the to the big uh, vendors like Abel and Cole and, and Riverford. A charity that that both you and I have worked with in the past, the the funding network, um, which is a, a charity crowdfunding event. So the way they raise money is to do a live crowdfunding event, and it would be traditionally run in a, a theatre or, or you know, very much a, a sort of a venue based offer. That's just not going to be possible for them for 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 a number of months ahead. So what they've done is they worked with a, an online platform provider to turn the entire event into an online event. Um, and what they've seen is an event that was focused in London getting reach globally. So there were people from Mexico joining. There were people from all sorts of different destinations around the world joining into this session and participating. Um, and they raised more money. The barriers to entry for some of this stuff, I think, are being greatly reduced. They are, although I, I suspect they might be um, still quite high for some organisations who don't have, have the skills or they don't have, have the tech to do this. Next week is our final episode of the season, and although we won't shy away from delving further into the changing landscape of work post-COVID, we will be expanding our digital horizons and have some really interesting guests lined up for you. We've got a fantastic final guest for you next week in our season finale so keep an eye on your social feeds on friday to find out who we'll be talking to in the meantime please do send us your feedback we'd love to hear about anything that you feel that you would do differently after hearing from our speakers you can share your plans ideas or questions with us on twitter we're at starts at the top one that starts at the top number one and you can email us at starts at the top podcast at gmail.com. And please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. So thank you very much to all our listeners. And we'll be back again next week with our final episode of the season. Speak to you next week. Bye.